Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Versify. Versify is a show where people tell their stories and then hear their words turned into poetry. The poets listen carefully as people tell stories, then they take what they hear and they turn those words into original poems. Then they recite them back to the storyteller. Here's how host Joshua Moore describes Versify. In every episode of Versify, we focus in on one person's story, paying special attention not only to what they say, but the way they say it. Inside these small exchanges, our poets form connections with their storytellers. They gain insights into their lives because they care to listen closely. There's honestly a sort of magic in the way these writers can take the briefest intimacy, weave it into a work of art, and offer it back as a gift, not only to our participants, but also to our listeners. Versify is a show from Nashville Public Radio and PRX. Stories and poems are gathered with the help of The Porch, which is a nonprofit literary center. And the host, Joshua Moore, is a 27-year-old local poet and Nashville native who helped develop The Porch's existing Poetry on Demand project. In addition to launching Versify, he's working on his MFA in the prestigious Vanderbilt University Creative Writing Program. You can find Versify on your podcatcher of choice or visit versifypodcast.com. That's V. E-R-S-I-F-Y podcast.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 216, and today we are talking about books being released on July 9th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hi! Hello! Happy summer! Yeah, it's finally summer here, and it's funny because we've had such cold weather for so long, like, this has been, like, the most delayed spring slash summer ever, that we've had really hot and humid weather the last week or so, but everybody I talk to is like, man, it's really hot outside and sticky and gross, but I'm not going to complain about it because it could be worse, and it's just, like, (laughs) the perspective is so funny about... Just, you know, this is summer. This is what sp- summer's supposed to be like. Um, but winter was so bad that we don't want to yeah. complain. <laughs> I feel like I'm never ready for any season. I'm always like, wait, this is here already? <laughs> and then, and, and like, I'm never, never prepared. So it's, like, hot and humid here in Maine, and the traffic is crazy. And it's good, though. Um, and we've read some good books that we're going to talk about today which I'm excited for. Um, Before we do that, we want to take a break for our first sponsor. Hey, ATB listeners. This is Jen Northington from ATB and Get Booked in SFF Yeah. And I am here to tell you about our sponsor, Lola. 
who make 100% organic cotton period care products. And I know a lot of you, like me, care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the skincare products that we use. And so why shouldn't the same be true of our period care products? Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients in their tampons and pads and liners and wipes. There's no added chemicals or fragrances or synthetics or dyes. And, which I particularly love, they offer a customizable subscription. So you can choose your mix of products, absorbency, how many boxes, how often you get them, and you can change or skip or cancel at any time. I really loved how discreet the box was that arrived at my apartment. It was very chill, and I really liked the packaging, really very pocket-slash-purse-friendly. And I also love that you can customize it because everybody has different needs and, you know, you go to the store and you can only buy certain combinations. So it's really great that you can decide exactly like how many supers versus lights you need. Really, really nice. And it blows my mind that the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a full list of ingredients in period period care products, and so most of them don't. But Lola will tell you everything that's in there, which is really, really nice. So again, subscription, period care products, customizable, delivered right to your door, really nice discreet packaging. And if you would like 40% off off all of your subscriptions, you can visit mylola.com and enter all the books when you subscribe. That's mylola.com and enter all the books for 40% off all subscriptions. And now I'm going to tell you about my first book. This is like the big thriller of the summer. Like, everybody was talking about this before it came out. Uh, He got a huge, huge deal for a movie. It's called The Chain by Adrian McKinty. So, of course I had to read it because, one, everybody's saying it's like the big summer thriller. And two, someone called it the Jaws. It's like Jaws, but with children. And so I was, at first I thought like, oh, children that bite people, that's exciting. <laughs> Not exactly that. It's just like that beach read that you can't put down. Everybody's going to be reading it. Everybody's going to be talking about it. So it's about the chain. And there's a woman named Rachel. She's, first of all, it takes place 15 minutes from where I live. So that was exciting. I was like, oh, I know that place and this place and that place. Um, so there's a woman named Rachel and she's in Newburyport, Massachusetts. She's driving in her car on the way to the doctors, and she gets a phone call from this this voice. It's an anonymous call, and it's a, like a voice distortion, and it says, you are about to be a part of the chain, you know, pull over on the side of the road, listen to what these people say to you, because if you don't, pro- there's going to be a problem. And she's like, I'm going to call the police. I don't know what this is. And they're like, don't call the police. Just And she's, so she has like this bad feeling, so she pulls over, or she's, well, she's still driving, and she gets the next call. And they say to her, you know, it's a woman, And she sounds really frazzled and really hysterical. And she says, I've just kidnapped your daughter, Kylie. And Rachel's like, that's impossible. She was sitting at the bus stop getting ready to go to school. And she's like, yes, I I took her from the bus stop. Um, Before I go any further, I should have given a trigger warning. I want to let you know that there is, in this book, in discussion, a lot of violence and, obviously, child abduction and trauma. So if that's something you're sensitive to, this is not the book for you because that is basically what the whole book is about. Um, So she gets this call. This woman says, I've kidnapped your daughter, Kylie. And I took her from the bus stop. And my son was kidnapped. And so when you kidnap another child, my son will be let go. And then when that person whose child you kidnapped kidnaps another child, your child will be let go. And she's like, this is bananas. Like, what is going on? And 
she's so she sends her a picture because she says I, I really have your child and and there's Kylie and she's she's tied up in a basement and she says you know you have to send twenty five thousand dollars to this this account and you have to kidnap another child and here so it gives her a bunch more rules like you know um it, you can't call the cops you can't have anyone help you you have to pick the child carefully they can't have any police officers in their family or um, anyone with military history in their family like nobody that you think is going to call the cops even though you tell them not to. You have to, like, investigate these families thoroughly before you decide, you know, what you're going to do. So when I went into this, like, when I was reading this, I was like, okay, so they say, like, this chain's been going on forever. And so Rachel's, like, this tough woman, and she's going to be the person to break it. Nope. Not at all. She goes from driving down the road, texting bad jokes to her daughter, to plotting the kidnapping of a child in, like, a matter of moments. Um, And she's like, okay. She goes to the bank. She gets a loan. And now she's got to make her decision, like, who is she going to kidnap? Um, which is, like, bananas to even think about. And she feels that way, too. But she would do anything for her daughter, and she's going to do it. So, um, and then she, like, as it goes on, you find out, like, she was chosen for a reason. Um, she is a cancer survivor. She was, like, a year clear of um, breast cancer. She went to Harvard. She's brilliant. She's divorced um, and, and struggling and really hardworking. Um, they don't think she's going to call the cops. She doesn't have anybody, in, you know, military people in her family or anything like that. So... That was why she was chosen, and now she's, like, looking online, looking at people's Facebook profiles, like, looking for houses where to hide a child, you know, where nobody will find them. Just just crazy stuff. And we also get a perspective from Kylie, who is who has her daughter, who has been kidnapped. She's in the basement of this family, who really doesn't, they didn't want to do what they did, but they want their son back, so here she is. And she's trying to figure out, you know, what she's going to do to get out, and you know, what she will do if she gets out and what she will do if she has to stay there. Like, she doesn't know why she's there still. Um, and there's so, so much more, like, but I can't tell you because it would spoil all of the book. But basically, it's like every parent's nightmare. You know, it's exploiting every parent's nightmare. Um, and, you know, the chain is, you know, there's a quote from the Stevie Nicks song, you know, the Fleetwood Mac song from in the beginning. But also, you know, it's like both hypothetical and real because it's, you know, about familial bonds and actual chains people are being kept in and social media and how people can't give it up. Like, this one might make you think about your social media use when you read it because people post what they're doing, where they're going, where their children have been, what their children do, and that is how these people find these kids to kidnap. They're like, well, you know, she said that, you know, little Johnny has archery lessons at this place and, you know, looks them up and, you know, and then this person's like, well, I, you know, leave my kids alone for this one out to dinner or whatever. You know, it's, it's kind of alarming. Um, so he does a really good job, like, exploiting, you know, everyday, you know, use of the social media that, like, you don't even think about until you realize, oh, I'm telling everybody where I am all the time. Um, and I also really enjoyed that the idea, like, the, the people behind this, the idea came from a book, but I'm not going to tell you which one. And so I'm not going to tell you anymore, actually, but it's just, it's wild. You want to just sit down and just like fly through a book. It's The Chain, and it's by Adrian McKinty. My first pick is probably one of my favorite reads of the year so far, um, and it's The Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson. It came out in Canada last year, and it is coming out in the U.S. Uh, this week. And if the name Craig Davidson doesn't sound familiar, maybe the name Nick Cutter does. Uh, it's a, it's the same person. Um, 
Craig Davidson uses a couple different pseudonyms. Um, and and this both of these, uh, the Craig Davidson name and the Nick Cutter name, write horror, but they're two different styles of horror. And uh, the horror under the Davidson name is, is the kind that I really, really like in that it's um, horror a little bit on the lighter side. And uh, this particular book is one that anyone who loves Stranger Things or Stand By Me will want to pick up as soon as possible. So the story starts with a guy named Jake Breaker, who is a neurosurgeon, and he has a really good background in how the brain works. Obviously, like he does surgery on brains. He's a brain surgeon. And so the story begins with him talking about the delicacy that's involved in surgery and how precise you have to be when operating on somebody's brain. Um, And it flashes back then to the history of one summer in his youth in 1980s Niagara Falls, Canada. Um, Jake has been the victim of a really vicious bully who puts him in... uh, this, This bully puts him in contact with this other person named Billy, who is a Matisse boy who ends up becoming one of Jake's really uh, great longtime friends. <clears throat> so over the course of this one summer, Jake and Billy and Billy's older sister, Dove, who struggles with bipolar disorder, which is never named, but you know what it is. You pick up all the, the cues. Um, they become really, really close with Jake's eccentric uncle, Cal, who runs this occult shop in their small town. Um, Cal suggests that he uh, and the boys, as well as Dove, create a weekly ghost club. And Cal will take them to different places around the town that are filled with these ghost stories. So he takes the lead on in, in treating them and terrorizing them to stories of ghosts that haunt their little small town. Uh, the stories are horrific, though um, they're much more about sadness and loss than they are about being scared. So... Um, there's one that's about this fire that took place in a house and how uh, the people got out. And um, there's one about a car accident, a car going into uh, frozen water, and, and the people who did or didn't survive these accidents. Um, there's stories of death or people gone missing and sort of the relics of lives that never got to become what they were meant to be. Well, one night... Jake learns that everything his uncle has taught him might not be what he claims them to be. And I, I can't say why, uh, but but Cal might not be entirely truthful about these stories. Um, you're, if you're thinking to yourself, well, ghost stories, of course not. Like, they're, they're ghost stories. You know, they're legends. Well, there's something more to that. Um, and And so Jake wrestles with knowing the truth about these stories and the truth about his uncle, uh, both in that summer and then now as an adult neurosurgeon uh, reflecting on that summer, which changed literally everything he thought he knew about himself and his family. Um, It's a really heartbreaking and heartwarming story about love and loss and the things we do when we've experienced tremendous pain as well as really tremendous highs. Um, It's a really short story. I can't remember how many pages, like, 220 something like that um but it's one that literally I think I had every emotion while reading and it really captured all the things I love about about horror and ghost stories and that is the Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson I'm super excited to read that I held off because I knew you were gonna read it so (laughs) it'll be coming up for me soon I think Um, my next pick I did not intend to read 
two books, psychological thrillers about <laughs> parenting and children, but I did, and I loved this one. It's The Need by Helen Phillips. She wrote a book called The Beautiful Bureaucrat a few years ago that I just absolutely love, and a collection of short stories a couple years ago, the name of which escapes me, but she's just so smart and brilliant, and I love her brain, and I love this book. When I heard that she was writing, like, a, a psychological horror book, I was very excited. But it's actually sort of a scary book about being a parent. Um, and so there's the main character is Molly. And in the very first chapter, as the book opens, she's at home. Her husband is a musician. Uh, he's on tour. He got this call in the middle of the night to go to, to South America, I think. And so she's by herself in this big house with her two children. She has a daughter, Viv, who's, like, three and a son, Ben, who's like one, maybe one, one and a half. And so they're home alone, and it's nighttime. And she thinks she hears somebody in the house. Like, she's upstairs with the kids. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to barricade us in their room. And then she, realized, like, she realizes, like, I'm frazzled. I've been working really hard. The children are driving me crazy. And I'm just hearing things. I'm sure I'm imagining it. Uh, and, and she doesn't hear it again. So after, like, you know, she talks herself down. Um, she realizes, like, you know, I'm just, motherhood is just really getting to me. Uh, and so then her daughter runs out into the hall and looks over at her mom and says, there's a man in the living room. <laughs> and it's like, ah! So I was actually reading this at night, and I was like, oh, this is kind of freaking me out. <laughs> so then it goes back and forth. You um, find out that she works on an excavation site. She's been digging for artifacts. Uh, she and these, these two other people, um, they purchased the land so that they could work on it and they've been doing it for a very long time, and she has started to unearth things way down in the ground that are strange, like a penny that isn't that old, and a Coke can, which shouldn't be that far down into the earth. And then she finds a Bible, and the Bible, all the references to God are her, not him. And she's like, what is going on? And she she leaks this information and so now, like, more people are coming to the site for tours and, like, asking about this Bible, this strange Bible, like, where it came from. And her partners aren't really excited about all the attention. Um, but, you know, she's like, this is just, look at this, you know, it's crazy. Like, look, it's, it's amazing. So there's that going on. And then I can't really tell you what happens because it would spoil it. So I will just say that, you know, it's a scary book because, hi, Home Intruder, but also motherhood, you know, she's completely frazzled. You know, her children are either screaming or pooping, or not sleeping, or drawing on the walls, or changing their minds about what they want every five seconds. You know, I want this drink, now I don't want this drink. And just, you know, she's home with them, and she doesn't, her husband isn't there. Um, you know, she's trying to breastfeed and, and get her work done, and she just wants to, like, leave, basically. You know, like, and, and, and every parent has that feeling. And there's a, a book called Abbott Awaits by Chris Batchelder, and he has this line in it where he says, like, he realizes that two things were true at the same time, because um, his children are also driving him insane. Um, he's having the best time. Like, he loves his children. He never wants it to end. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to him. And also, he does not want this life anymore at all. Like, those two things exist at the same time. And it's kind of like that. You know, they're just... She's so... She would do anything for them, and also she just would like to be left alone now. Um, so it's just a really creepy psychological book about motherhood, um... What happens in it is strange and amazing, but I can't tell you because it would ruin it, so you just have to trust me. It is called The Need, and it is by Helen Phillips. 
My next one is one that's going to be familiar to some listeners, but new to others. And even for those who are familiar with the story, um, there's really something to be to be had with the print edition, and that is uh, Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro with Cornelia Funky. Um, the film that this book is based on came out 13 years ago, and that's oh probably... <laughs> I know, and it's really, it's probably been about 12 years since I've seen the film, um, but for anybody who knows nothing about the film or is as far removed from it as me, no worries. Um, the book comes from the story, but has no, but like you don't need any knowledge of the story to um, enjoy the lush, dark fantasy here. So the, the story set in World War II in Spain, where a troop of soldiers are sent to a remote forest in order to get rid of the rebels. That's sort of the backdrop and plays a part in the story in the sense that uh, that's a time frame and that the war is the catalyst for some of the plot. But for me, this is like the least interesting part of the story. Um, the thing that really gets me is that this is a story about a young girl named Ophelia who um, her father's died and now she and her mom, who is pregnant, are moving in to live with Captain Vital, who is the father of the to-be-born child. Uh, he also happens to be part of the fascist regime and is in no ways a good guy. He is terrible. Um Ophelia really, really longs for an escape and a return to the happy life that she once had. Um, she wants to be with her mom and her, her deceased father um, and as far away from the captain as possible. So when Ophelia discovers this magical labyrinth in the woods behind her new home, she's finding herself really drawn into the legend surrounding it. Um, those that are told to her as well as those that she's able to unravel herself. And um, it's here she meets this magical fawn named Pan, who sends her on a quest in order for her to discover the truth of who she is and where she comes from. Uh, so this is a really, really magical and dark, twisty and captivating read. And the book itself is just beautiful. Um, it's really highly designed. And um, I looked at a, an advanced copy of this one, so I didn't get to see the finished art. But just judging by the... Um, advanced copy like the art is going to be outstanding um i guess del toro picked the artist he wanted to do some of the art um pieces in there there's like 10 standalone pieces in there and then each of the pages are designed in this sort of magical uh woodsy design um what the book does that isn't part of the film and that um i think anybody who has seen the film and wants to revisit the story will really appreciate is that um there are these short stories woven in that add a little bit more depth to the underground world and provide even more backstory into this fairy tale land that has so much potential mythology within it. Um, this is a really lush and engrossing and perfect for readers who love horror and who love fantasy. Um, and it's a fairly short book, too. Um, I think this is like the theme this time, uh, shorter books, but um, I highly recommend it. It came out last week, um, and that is Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and Cornelia Funke. I think shorter books is a much nicer theme than psychological terror about children. <laughs> but hey, that's, you know, what I do. Um, now, I, speaking of psychological terror about children, now I want to watch del Toro films. Um, his first movie, The Devil's Backbone, is probably still the scariest movie I've ever seen. If you've never seen it, it's I have amazing. Not seen it so I, good. I know I want to go like rewatch Pan's Labyrinth after having read the book. I was like, man, like there are certain things I remember visually from it, but yeah. like 
I don't hold films in my head very well unless they're they're horror like that I just am completely uh, like obsessed with how weird it is. Um this one just like didn't the whole plot line was still new to me when I revisited the the book and I was like, "Oh yeah, I kind of remember this. I kind of remember that." And it was nice to sort of um read it and then at the end be like, "Okay, now I want to go visit it again, especially with like these uh short little backstory pieces in there and sort of see um how those do and don't play out in the the film itself. It's kind of like a really smart way to like refresh people's memory and introduce your movie yeah. to the world again and get yeah. people interested in it again. For sure. And it and it wasn't like um you know there are novelizations of movies that happen sometimes yeah. afterward. Like this didn't feel like that at all, especially, you know, 13 years later. It feels like just revisiting the story in in a new format, um uh, which I really liked. I like that. Well, before I tell you about my next pick, I'm going to tell you about our other sponsor today. It is Bombas. Bombas is back. And you've heard me talk about them before. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like, I used to be, not much. Or if you're like, I used to be, not at all. Socks are not for me. Keep them off my feet, please. But last year, when Bombas sponsored the show, they sent me a bunch of socks. And they were so comfortable that they kind of changed my mind about socks. Or I should say, these socks in particular. Um, and so these are Bombas socks. They are just so comfortable. I mean, I just don't like things on my feet, but if I have to wear them, you know, it's it's for the best that you put socks on before you wear shoes out. Um, unless you want your shoes to smell bad very quickly. Uh, and so these socks are perfect. Like, I use them when I'm working out. I put them in my sneakers. They're the ones that I have. The the I have, like, the no-shows, which are just, like, a little tiny bit of sock that are just cover your feet. And they're super soft. And, you know, sometimes I find myself, like, after I take my sneakers off, I still have them on and I don't even realize it. And I'm like, ah, I'm wearing socks because they're just so comfortable. Like, I, I don't even think about it. And, you know, for every pair of socks that they sell, they donate a pair of socks to people in need. And they, it's something, like, crazy, like, 12, 20 million pairs have been donated, something like that. Um, I just, I really love them. And, I, and I've had them for, you know, like a year now, I think. And I've been washing them and wearing them, and they're still great. So they will say tell you that Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And I agree. They are made from super soft natural cotton. And every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. And with many colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas look great at the gym, at the office, and out on the town. They are what feet daydream about. And best of all, for every Bombas purchase you make, they donate a pair to someone in need. So you can buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash all the books today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash all the books for 20% off. That's bombas.com slash all the books. And we thank them for sponsoring. So, I definitely needed socks the other day when my kitchen was flooded. And I was, like, in wet sneakers. I was like, oh, I gotta get these off. So, I was like, yay, I have socks. Actually, I have socks. <laughs> so, my next pick, like, there's no segue. Although it does involve clothing and fashion. Um, I loved this book. I'm so glad. Like, one of the things that I love about doing the show is that I pick up everything and anything to read. You know, whereas, like, when I used to, you know, work retail and look for books in a bookstore I would be like well this looks interesting to me because it's the same genre that I always read and you know whatever mm -hmm. so like this has been such a great few years you know several years now working for Book Riot and just reading everything that I can so today's book is Dapper Dan Made in Harlem by Daniel R. Day 
And he is, like, I did not know anything about him. I had never heard of him before. Um, it's his memoir. He is an American fashion designer. And oh. he basically outfitted the hip-hop world with high fashion. Like, he, his customers included LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, uh, Jay-Z, and he's been doing it for, like, 30 years now. Um, and just doing all kinds of, like, fancy, amazing clothes. And the hip-hop world was, like, where they went, they went to him to get their clothes. And he had a boutique in Harlem from, like, 1982 to 1992. And so you read the, like, introduction to this book. And the, like, three sentences in it, into it, I'm like, what an amazing writer he is. Like, what? He's a fashion designer, but he is a great writer. And the opening is such a tease. Like, there's something, there's a very specific incident that he's talking about over a couple of pages that leads to him mentioning a different incident, but then it starts... It starts with his childhood. You're like, oh, but wait, so now you have to keep going to find out what happened. It, and it was like, that was such a hook. That was a great hook. And so you read about his childhood and you learn that when he was little, he won many writing awards. And it's so obvious. I mean, he's such a great writer. Um, but he was born in Harlem in 1944. He says that when he was born, there were still like horses and buggies like on the roads in Harlem. He was the fourth child of seven um, his mother was, like, 14 years younger than his dad. She already had three children when they married. She stayed home with the kids. They lived in a, a tenement in Harlem. What, what I didn't realize is that when a lot of the black families moved out from the South, um, they lived in buildings according to, like, what state they came from. And if a lot of people came from a certain state, they would live in certain buildings according to even what neighborhood you were from. So, like, basically, like, your friends and family were around you, you know, when you, when you moved to the North. And they were they were very poor. Um, sometimes they went to bed hungry. But he talks about how like when you're a kid, that can you still you're still happy because you're a kid and you're running around and you're playing with your friends and you're swimming in the river. And they often stole like they had little gangs that would steal food out of the grocery store every morning so that they would have something to eat. Um, but he talks about like you know he's just having fun and while he really enjoyed writing and he looked up to his teachers. His biggest influences were um, hustlers that he ran into. Um, playing the numbers was like a sort of like local lottery that his mother did every day. And he saw like people, you know, they could win money. And that was really interesting to him. And the the um, people that ran the numbers, like they had been taken over by the Italian mafia and then taken back by a man in his neighborhood. And he looked up to that man and... He so his big influences were hustlers. Like there was one, a guy who came over and showed him like this giant suitcase full of cash, which was way more exciting than anything that was going on in his house. And he was like, "I want a giant, you know, suitcase of cash." Um, and so he became a hustler. He was like a pro gambler uh, by the time he was thirteen and making lots of money. And that was how he financed his first operations and what he did. And you know, he talks a lot about, like, the people who moved to Harlem from the South, how many of them faced a lot of prejudice in the neighborhoods. Like, people wouldn't rent to to um, black families. People wouldn't hire black people, you know, for jobs. And so a lot of people ended up returning to the South. Uh, and he felt like his family made it because they stayed there. And that was really... He loved his neighborhood. But he also, like, started getting involved in drugs and fraud and he did this for many years like he you know he wanted to help his neighborhood but at the same time he realizes like he was profiting off of it um and then he decided to go into business uh in clothing and again face prejudice like you know people gave him a hard time and didn't want to give him loans and all this stuff um, but he persevered and he ended up with this amazing boutique that was open 
24 hours a day for nine years straight because he was afraid, like, if he even closed it for a little while, he would fall behind. Like, he had to work that hard to prove it for himself. And he would sleep in the back, and his family lived down the street. But he became a world-famous designer. Uh, And it's just, it's an amazing story. Um, He does talk about some of his regrets. The thing that happens in the first, in the opening, um, is one of his regrets. Uh, Again, like I said, it's just like this amazing story, and he has you on the hook. Um, But his writing was so incredible, and it kind of just like flows so evenly. And I found the whole thing to be a delight from beginning to end. Even, Even the sad parts, because he just has such a positive attitude, and like he totally owns up to what he's done and has really interesting perspectives on things. So I really enjoyed it. It's called Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem by Daniel R. Day. My next one breaks the short book um, (laughs) streak I had going. This one and the next one, I'm going to talk about both of them uh, break the streak. But that doesn't mean that they're not great. Um, So my next one is A Prayer for Travelers by Ruchika Tomar. And heads up that there's a trigger warning here for sexual assault. Um, I don't think saying that spoils the book at all, but uh, heads up on it. And so uh, this is a Western, and it's a Western that features two girls of color at the helm who would do anything but be content to be in one of those male-dominated, egotastic, sort of stereotypical Westerns that we have um, sort of come to culturally accept as, like, the Western narrative. Um, It's a mystery told out of order about a brown girl named Kale who's raised by her grandfather and who becomes entwined with another brown girl named Penny who happens to go missing. Um, They're close friends, though we only kind of believe this to be true as the friendship seems really one-sided. Kale's the only one who's telling the story, and since it's out of order, we don't 100% know really how close their relationship was. Uh, But Kale wants to know what happened to Penny and why it is she disappeared. Uh, This is set in the desert uh, in the West, and it's well-paced, cleverly crafted, and gorgeously written, um, and offers up a slice of the sort of American narrative we never see. Um, We get to know Kale, who is bookish and quiet, and... um, We get to know her a lot more than we get to know Penny, who doesn't have her own voice in the story because she's quote-unquote gone missing. But we do know she's the kind of girl that Kale would love to someday be, and that that's why she's so enamored with her. Um, Even if we as readers sort of suspect that Penny might not return those same feelings to Kale. Um, not that they're not friends, but it's, it's a really interesting study in uneven friendships and the perspective, the, the perceptions we have about the people we're friends with. Um, this book reminded me a lot of Sadie by Courtney Summers for the way the mystery plays out and how it's told non-sequentially. Um, for readers who love thrillers, cleverly constructed novels and stories of friendship, feminism, and seeing men who've always been heroes knocked down a notch or two, this is, this is a great read. Um, and that is A Prayer for Travelers by Ruchika Tomar. Okay, my last pick today, I am afraid I have not finished. Um, I got all my titles for the newsletter and started reading some other books. I did not find a lot that I enjoyed, so I am loving this one, but I am only like a third of the way into it. But I want to tell you about it because it's really unusual and I'm loving it. It's called Wilder Girls by Rory Power. And it's funny that you mentioned Nick Cutter earlier because this reminded me a little bit of the troupe. Like I had that in (laughs) mind when I started reading this. Uh, It is a YA 
psychological horror novel. Boy, that seems to be my theme today. It kind of fits my whole week this week. Um, so it is. it was built as a feminist lord of the flies. It is about a boarding school. It's an it's an all-girls school. They're on an island, and something called the talks has hit the island. Um, first, the teachers started to die. Then the students became sick. And not only that, but they've started changing. Like, weird things are happening to their body. The narrator is Hetty, and from, like, the first page, I think she mentions that. Um, so, again, before I continue... This is, like, body horror, so if that is not your thing, um, you're going to want to skip ahead. Uh, She mentions, like, on the first page that one of her eyes fell out and sealed over and something is growing behind it. Uh, Which is like, oh, and she says it so, like, nonchalantly, you're like, okay. Um, And then she mentions, like, since this talks hit, these kind of things happen to people all the time. Their bodies are changing, something grows in it, something changes... One of the girls that she encounters has a claw for a hand. Someone has scales. And these weird things are going on on the island. It's been going on for like 18 months. They've been quarantined. They're not allowed to leave the island. The government is like, oh, hell no. They do not come near us. They fence them off. And so every every uh, month or something, they go and the government throws supplies over to them. And they bring them back. Like in the first chapter, they bring the supplies back to the school and the girls basically just beat each other to get to this stuff. Like, like literally, like, are wailing on each other uh, to try and grab what they can. Because um, it's just, like, there's no rules now. It's no longer, like, really a school. I mean, it's people are changing into weird creatures. Um, but then Hetty's best friend, Byatt, goes missing. And she decides she's going to find her. And not only that, but go anywhere that she has to go, like, even if she has to break quarantine, because, like, what does she care anyway? She's already changing and sick, and, like, she doesn't care what happens to her. Um, it's really fascinating and interesting. Reminded me a little bit of The Forest of Hands and Teeth, which I loved. I like that kind of, like, you know, existing behind this wall kind of, kind of story. And so, this is Wilder Girls by Rory Power. And, again, I only read the first third, but I hope it holds up. It's really great. My last pick is also on the very long book uh, end of things. I apparently had both this week. I'm going to go with short books and long books, like nothing in between. Um, This one is The Boy and Girl Who Broke the World by Amy Reed. And um, I've been reading the work of Amy Reed for as long as she's been writing and always really look forward to, like, what her next dark, gritty, realistic story is going to be. Um, That's sort of her trademark, but she does something different in this book. And yet, it's also the exact kind of book I would expect from her. Um, So this is a story about Billy and Lydia, who become best friends when they're brought together because their small town rival high schools are merged into a single building. Um, Their towns are small enough that sustaining two schools is just not financially feasible, so now they'll be together in one school. Um, Billy and Lydia make the decision to become friends both out of force and out of choice, Um, which is one of the biggest themes in this really strange, bizarre, weird, and also awesome book about family, the kind you make and the kind you find, that reminded me a lot of the work of Sean David Hutchinson. So, as I said before, the story is set in an impoverished community, and it deals a lot with social class, as well as what it's like to live in a place known for something weird. 
So in this story, their town is known for being the setting of a book series called Unicorns vs. Dragons, which is reminiscent of Twilight. <laughs> and um, it's also known as the birthplace of famous rock star legend Caleb, who sounds quite like rock star legend Kurt Cobain. Um, interesting, Billy's uncle happens to be rock star Caleb, um, and he's gone missing. This rock star who has this legion of followers, this devoted fan base, they're all trying to find him, and they're all afraid that he is dead. Um, but Caleb has secretly returned home and is being cared for by Billy in such a way that no one knows that he's returned and is still alive. Um, he's taken up residence in, like, the family attic under a bunch of blankets. And, like, Billy feeds him and, and goes and visits him and takes care of him um, all in secret. Um, he's also not well. Um, Caleb has a lot of demons that he's fighting. And he's sort of depending on Billy to be his rock. Um, even though he's the one living the rock star life. So then we have Lydia. She is Filipina and she has experienced her mother dying and built this really, really tough exterior around herself. And in a lot of ways, she reminded me of Daria from the show Daria. Um, Lydia's father is trying the best that he can to take care of her, but his job as a bartender means that sometimes, um, he can't always be there. His time's limited. And also, like, they're not going to make it rich. And you know, making ends eat, making ends meet is sometimes challenging. Um, what Lydia really wants, though, is this connection to her heritage that she never got to know. But without her mother there, um, there's really no way to do it. So in addition to kind of getting to know these characters really, really well, there's this speculative undertone in the story, though I think it's grounded um, quite well in reality. The world here is really weird in reality and made almost more realistic with the addition of severe meteorological events. So um, there is an earthquake, there's a tornado, like these things kind of are thrown into the story and really, I think give even more depth to this community and more depth to the sort of stories that take place in a small town, uh, especially a small town that is dealing with a lot of financial challenges. There um, is no lack of sort of current political commentary running through the story as well. Um, Reed has the king who is in charge of the country, and he's certainly modeled after our current president. You can tell, uh, no question. So, so it should be clear now, this is not a super plot-heavy book, but one rooted in two really, really well-rendered teen characters about poverty, isolation, loss, identity, and ultimately love. Um, throughout the story, Billy and Lydia are only ever friends, but Lydia does get involved with a girl later in the book, so see a little bit of romance for her and that is the boy and girl who broke the world by amy reed all right we did it we did it what are you gonna read next i am okay so i like made these notes when we were gonna record on a different day and i'm just gonna talk about that book because i finished it um and then is moon of the crusted snow why by Wabgashig Rice, um, because apparently I'm really into weird and horrific stories right now, and that book was incredible. So good. I would just have everybody read that all the time. I know. 
Also a short book. Yes, very short. Yeah, like 215 pages short. I am going to read The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo, which I don't really know that much about, except that I didn't get to it when it came out on June 25th, and people are telling me, like, this is one of the best novels of the year. So I am going to read this and let everyone know if that if I feel that way. I mean, other people can feel that way. That's fine. Um, but it's not, I mean, it sounds really good. It's about like a couple that falls in love and they have four daughters and each of their daughters are very different and it's like a family saga and it just it sounds wonderful. So I'm excited. And that is it for us today. Thank you to Versify. Go to versifypodcast.com to check that out. Thank you to Lola. Go to mylola.com and enter all the books for 40% off all subscriptions. And thank you to Bombas. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash all the books. You do that, you can get 20% off. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. You can find Kelly on Twitter at Veronica Kelly Mars. That's V-E-R-O-N-I-K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-S. And if you want to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps other book lovers to find us, and we really appreciate that. And as much as we would love to say about more books today, maybe even ones that aren't psychological horror, uh, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.